Every fourth Sunday of Easter, we hear from the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, in which Jesus speaks about himself as the Good Shepherd and about his flock. And so we call this Good Shepherd Sunday. This idea of the shepherd and the sheep is very much connected with the idea of eternal life. So it's very appropriate that this always comes up during the Easter season. For the sheep who belong to Jesus hear his voice, and they follow him, and he gives them eternal life. And John sees this uh, in a vision, and when he sees heaven in the apocalypse, he says, the lamb will shepherd them and lead them to the springs of life-giving water. So who is part of the flock, and what determines that? In our first reading, Paul and Barnabas are traveling and preaching the gospel, first beginning when they go to a place in the synagogue. And in, in what we just heard now, they didn't get a great reception in the synagogue. Some of the Jews believed, many of them did not, and in fact persecuted them. And after they, they were done preaching there, they pronounced something. They said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and condemn yourselves as unworthy of eternal life, we turn now to the Gentiles. And so they began to speak to those, those they called them Gentiles basically, they, they weren't part of the covenant with Abraham, they hadn't received the Mosaic law, and many of them are receptive and come to believe. And then there's this interesting line, all who were destined for eternal life came to believe. And I'd like to talk a little bit today about the Catholic view of predestination. Sometimes we think of that word and we think of it as being fate. That what we do doesn't matter because there is an inexorable force leading to certain outcomes. This is portrayed well in Greek tragedies. Maybe when you were in high school you studied uh, Sophocles and Oedipus Rex. So there's a king who has a son, but there's an oracle of prophecy that the son will kill his father, the king. So he orders for the son to be killed, but the mom can't do it, the servant can't do it, they can't bring themselves to do it. So they give the son away, who ends up being raised in another land by another king. He becomes a man. He travels back to the land where he's actually born, but he doesn't know that. He's on the road, he has a dispute with an older man, and there's a fight and he kills him. It turns out it was his actual father. So in this idea, it's like the king trying to avoid his fate actually ends up achieving it, right? This is this idea of, of fate. This is not, not quite what we're talking about when we talk about predestination. So predestination is primarily about salvation. And scripture, in fact, does use that word, that God has predestined some people for salvation and that um, uh, and, and those people are sometimes called the elect, those chosen by God. There's a very short but beautiful expression, though, of what this means and how it relates to our free choices in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism says, to God, all moments of time are present in their immediacy. When, therefore, he establishes his eternal plan of predestination, he includes in it each person's free response to his grace. So God chooses, but he knows in advance, well, not in advance, he sees everything at once, and so he builds our responses into, into his choosing. There are two views that are rejected by the church, and between them there's quite a bit of, of room for, for people to have different opinions. So on the one hand is something called Pelagianism, 
which says that salvation is entirely dependent on human will and the human choice. And this is wrong because salvation is a gift from God. We call it grace. Even when we, even when those people who Paul and Barnabas preached to, responded, right, to the gospel saying, I believe, gave their lives to Christ, they couldn't do that merely by their own power, but only with the help of God's grace. Then, on the other hand, is a, is a view that's rejected, which the church calls double predestination. This is held by many Calvinists, many in the Calvinist and Reformed tradition. This is the view that God chooses who will be saved and who will be damned uh, just from whatever he wants, and that there's nothing that anyone can do to change this. And there is in this view a desire to uphold the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God. This idea that, well, we want God is all-powerful, I guess he decides everything, and he can't be limited by human choice. Well, except unless he wants to be limited by human choice, right? In certain ways. And the problem, of course, with this view is it makes God a creator who actually creates people for the purpose of damning them. There are various mysteries involved here. God's omnipotence, God's omniscience, he knows everything. God being outside of time, something we can't even comprehend what that would be like to be outside of time. The nature and interplay of free will and grace, the nature of salvation and damnation, what are those exactly? In the Catholic Church, there's, there are some different views. There's something called the Thomist position, which emphasizes grace, and the Molinist, which emphasizes free will, but neither of them excludes the other. We know this. We know that, and Paul writes to Timothy, that God desires the salvation of all people. We know that God makes our salvation possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus. The shepherd became the lamb who was slain. And we are washed in his blood. And he did this while we were still sinners, proving his love for us. Jesus speaks about his flock. He says that they hear his voice and they know him and they follow him. Sorry, they hear his voice, they know him, and that he knows them. And this is an interesting thing because Jesus knows everybody, right, as God. But the scripture sometimes speaks of knowledge. It's not referring to uh, an understanding in the abstract of a person or even in details, but rather of a relationship, of a close relationship. And this is what Jesus has with his flock and each member. He knows them, right? an intimate relationship. They hear his voice and they follow him. So this is most clearly evident belonging to the flock of Christ in those who are believing and practicing members of the church. Now the church also holds out the possibility that there may be some who belong to his flock in a hidden way, having implicitly accepted him. But the surest sign of salvation is professing faith, living the sacraments, and obeying Christ. Now the thing about the image of the sheep is that sheep are vulnerable. We may not like this. It may seem an unflattering image, right? but it's actually quite true of us. Right? There are thieves and there are wolves who seek their destruction. There are hirelings who do not take good care of them. Sheep are susceptible to walking off and getting lost. 
And so we need a good shepherd. We need his care and his guidance and his protection. And this assures us of eternal salvation. Against, against all external threats. So Jesus says about his flock that they are given to him by the Father and no one can take them out of the Father's hand. There's no, nothing external that can take us out of Jesus' flock. But, so the only danger left is the one that comes from within, our choosing to walk away. Even then, what does the Good Shepherd do? He goes out to seek the lost and to return them to his flock. Yesterday, after a long day, I was praying, going back over these readings, and it was so clear to me how Jesus loves his flock, and he gathers them in. At 7 a.m., I was here with 20 men, praying the Liturgy of the Hours and the Rosary. And this is a group called the Padre Pio Prayer Group. It wasn't my idea. Uh, but two young men in our parish approached me, they, they're young fathers, and they've been faithful now for many months. And we're praying, and honestly, there was a time right before the rosary where they were announcing intentions, all the intentions that we were going to offer the rosary for. And the intentions were so beautiful and so perfect. I mean, I really felt these guys are hearing the voice of Jesus. I'm hearing the voice of Jesus through them announcing these intentions. Mass at 8 a.m., breakfast for the men's group, fellowship, a little conversation. Back here in the church for a combo wedding baptism. And this was a wonderful story too. This was a couple. They'd been civilly married, married by the state for many years, but they both were raised Catholic. They wanted their second child baptized. We met, we talked about what it is when they asked to have their child baptized. What does it really mean? So they started coming back to Mass. And I offered them my two-for-one special marriage and baptism for no cost and they took it they loved it in fact it was a beautiful celebration the whole process has been beautiful uh, I mean they have an older son who's already been baptized and he just he, he was wearing his cute little suit and as soon as I walked because he came to our meetings he just hugged my, my, my leg and said Jesus you know and uh, I didn't correct him you know it's okay so <laughs> So, but the whole, it was so beautiful. The, the, the saying of their vows, you know, I got to meet some of their family members. And then, uh, then at one o'clock was a, another baptism. And, and this one had its own story too. So this was a couple, that maybe it was five years ago, six years ago, I did their wedding. I presided. And um, so they, God blessed them with a son. And the son was born in June of 2019. And... Uh, so they were real busy. They didn't get the son baptized. And then COVID happened, right? So now, he, you know, he's like almost three years old. And I know, I know the husband's mom really well. And she's a wonderful woman. And she gently reminded them from time to time of the baptism. Gently, really. She didn't despair. She prayed. And they got motivated for it. I had a brief conversation with them, and, um, and it was a beautiful, and you know, the little boy, was kind of, in a way, it was neat, he was a little bit older, I mean, he, so he was praying along with us, you know, he's almost three, and when we did the Litany of the Saints, and he would, I'd say, you know, uh, St. Anthony, he'd say, pray for us, you know, he was joining us, it was so beautiful, powerful, you know, 
And, and then a little while after that, I, I visited one of our longtime parishioners. She's 94 years old. She's dying. She uh, was raised in Vietnam. Uh, we never really had much conversation, but she would go to Mass every day for a long time. Hadn't seen her in a while. Um, and, uh, you know, she was, I mean, she's dying, but she, she recognized that Jesus, not me, but Jesus was visiting her. And I think sometimes, too, if you learn English later in life and, when, and you're declining, you don't remember as well, but, but she knew what was happening. You know, when I signed her with the sign of the cross, she would do this, you know. When I, I gave her communion, she knew it was Jesus. I could tell in her face, gave her a few drops of the precious blood. Um, and it was, it was so beautiful. Jesus has, has come to her, that assurance he gave her before of eternal salvation. He gave her this sign of it as well. She married, did, didn't have children, her husband died, but she was being lovingly taken care of by a niece and a nephew. And, um, and I just thought of her life. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, she lived through all the wars, several wars in Vietnam and coming to this country, you know. But always she, was, she would walk to church every day for years to daily mass. In the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, it included rejection by some and acceptance by others of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in the end of their visit, they're actually, they're expelled from that territory. They go on to the next town. What are they thinking as they left? I'm not sure. I believe, though, they found great consolation in those in whom they could see the salvation of Christ happening. And I think they were able to surrender their disappointment and concern for those who did not, trusting in God's plan. And so Luke tells us, as they walked away, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. <laughs>